Future Friday. Hello, everybody. Hope everyone's having a great day. And uh, you're listening to a new episode called Future Fridays. Uh, this will be a new series starting at CHMA. And uh, yeah, I'm back again with John, who we had a great conversation last week about talking about the future of uh, environmental change and climate change in general. Um, and this week, we're going to be speaking a little bit about uh, facial recognition and all around other subjects that kind of encompass it. So, um, you know, I think facial recognition is a new upcoming technology that has been used both by the industry in terms of businesses, but also by mass states as well. So, for example, like China has been using facial recognition with also the combination of the social credit system. Um, so just to start off this um, podcast and things like that, how do you feel about facial recognition? Do you believe it's a good thing or a bad thing overall? I think like like much of technology, it's a it's an amoral tool that depends on how we use it. Yes. A hammer can be used for productively to hammer nails or you could throw it at someone's head. Yeah. One's good and one's bad. <laughs> you can use facial recognition to, you know, make unlocking your iPhone a lot faster, but you could also use it to, you know, oppress an entire race of people. Mm-hmm. No, that's true, actually, definitely. And um, I think, yeah, we'll just look at all these kind of different things, these different, like the positive and the, and the negative of facial recognition, because I think, in my honest opinion, I completely agree with you in the sense that facial recognition has actually improved our lives massively but then you also have got the sense of in a negative side when government uses for like mass surveillance it's it's kind of a, a very bad tool to undermine a lot of civil liberties a lot of a lot of liberal liberal ideas and a lot of our privacy as well so um yeah i think it's definitely has that sense has that kind of um big debate still going on you know because i think right now there's i've just read recently there's a lot of coalitions being created in the united states so for example i saw in chicago um, they were creating that and um, they were trying to go against facial recognition being used by the, I think, by the police, I believe. Um, so it just shows that this debate is, despite governments kind of using it, there's this still big backlash with it, which I think is pretty interesting. Don't, don't you think? Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I believe even in San Francisco, the, mm. the city has banned the use of facial recognition technologies by the police, which is fitting considering that's, you know, where Silicon Valley is. And oh, yeah. The people that make it mm. don't feel comfortable about having law enforcement use it. So if they are not comfortable with it, then we shouldn't be either. Yeah, it's like it's very interesting because facial recognition, it wasn't, it didn't just come out, sprang out randomly in this sort of decade. It was actually back in the set. I read somewhere in the like seventies, um, a lot of different departments such as security. Uh, I think it was like psychology as well. A lot of them were using this facial recognition way, way before, just investigate and see how it is. Um, but it's very interesting. Like nowadays, this facial technician, uh, facial technician technology, has developed so much in this sort of 21st century so it's kind of interesting to the fact that we're now having these discussions now not back then so i don't know what what kind of happened though that's the thing you know probably because we've actually figured out machine learning now yeah because the big thing is back then was you'd have to manually program it to know how to understand what it's seeing and to do it all itself and the thing the difference between now and then is then if that we ever had such a function a fully functioning system we would actually have a fully a full complete understanding of how the machine understands and views the world and interprets it of course because the problem with uh we have with facial recognition now and a lot of ai systems is that through their neural networks the computer scientists that create them understand how they're created but they don't actually understand how the algorithm derives its conclusions 
they know the inputs, but they don't know what exactly happens, how all the calculations are weighted, and what are, how how many variables and how they're all weighted with each other. Yeah, and it spits out an output. All oh, right. So it's the fact that they don't understand the. Yeah, it's just they put certain information in, but then it's like something comes out randomly that they don't expect, which is pretty interesting. Okay. Because facial recognition, because we don't see the world the same way as machine does. Of course. Because what they do is you upload two pictures and the machine will go through each individual pixel by pixel and analyze each individual one. And then we'll say, okay, um, these two pictures of, you know, you can show a picture of a cat and like, okay, this is a cat. You teach it what a cat is and you show it a picture of a cat. It's like, yeah, that's a cat. You show it another cat and it's like, yeah, that's a cat. You showed a picture of a dog, and it's like, yeah, that's a cat. Like, no, that's a dog. Like, well, yeah. you know, the sky is blue in all the pictures, so <laughs> that's mm. what's in common. We don't. It doesn't see the cat in common. It sees other things in common that we don't see. Yeah, and also touching on that subject as well, I think one of the biggest, um, uh, what, what's it called the uh, biggest negatives of facial recognition. There you go. Biggest negatives of facial recognition is it's only been used on white faces. It's all it's all based on you know North American you know white individuals or European faces and stuff like that, but yeah, all of it it's not really been tested on ethnic minorities. I also read somewhere on the conversation, uh, it was it was a article based on uh, super recognizers. So super recognizers are these a minority of individuals that can recognize faces a lot quicker, especially from just like headshots. And they're using facial recognition with them as well. So these individuals, I think that would be making uh, security a lot more secure and border control much more efficient. The issue is when they found, when they tried to use facial recognition and also uh, f uh, super recognizers with uh, individuals from Turkey or Turkish uh, looking individuals, they weren't very good at recognizing it. And also that's the same sense with the, when Metropolitan when the Metropolitan Police tried to employ facial recognition cameras, it was only tested on white individuals again. So it's it's like we have in this society a lot of biases, and I feel like technology might even exacerbate it even more because it's like it might just create a false in the system because it's the fact it's not testing on all the individuals. So that's very scary because obviously as a society we want to get rid of these sort of biases, but then the fact that we have this technology which can even exacerbate it makes it very, very concerning, I would say. Absolutely. You definitely want to have proper control over how these these systems work. <clears throat> um, actually, I just lost my train of thought. People said they were on most wanted lists. Wow. And these were Congress people of color. And that definitely shows the, the issues in these systems and that they're only an AI doesn't really isn't capable of really understanding the world and understanding uh, the relationships between things but it can only really extrapolate based on past data mm. so if you so if you have a facial recognition system and let's say it's sample data were pictures from driver's licenses um and you live in say let's say i don't know um wyoming yeah that's a majority a majority white state it's not very diverse so most of the the driver's licenses are going to be for uh, non-marginalized non peoples. And so when the system goes to try and actually look at someone who's not white, or even just not male, it'll, ha it'll be less effective at recognizing them, mm. which is not useful, because it's definitely going to really exacerbate these kinds of inequalities, especially when you have like systems, say, like Amazon's Ring, which is a, a door, you know, a home security system that basically has a camera on your front door and you can see whoever's at your door all the time. And when you get, say, like a 
you know, if you're Amazon delivery person who's not wearing any Amazon stuff, is, you know, delivering your, you know, as, as a person of color and walks into your neighborhood, mm. you know, you're, you see a, a, a face in your camera and you're, you might preemptively call the police. No, true. Exactly. I think there's so many cases where, um, you know, there's, I think there was a case, I don't know where this was, maybe it was in the United States, but I think a, a, a person of color tried to walk into someone's, it was, I think it was his or her apartment. And, um, then this white individual who was part of the part of this uh, flat then called the police because she wasn't or she or he wasn't sure if he was part of the um, part of the flat. And I think that shows, but that was because of a person of color. He or she just lived there. So it just shows like, and even in Toronto, for example, I think uh, people of color are more likely to be stopped by police, especially as well. So it's just like, you know, the fact that this technology isn't been used a variety of different individuals from a variety of different backgrounds is very concerning and i don't know why is that though this is the thing because surely from a like a political science standpoint let's say we do, we do an investigation or study for example we try and do a variety of different individuals from different places and we do like random selection so i don't understand why is facial recognition not done that you know because it's a bit concerning the fact that it's only picked white individuals not ethnic minorities so it's a bit yeah it's really concerning the fact that's happened why is that a case i feel i would say no, this is just me spitfiring, but I would say that it's probably because of the people who are generating a lot of these systems are, you know, ne not necessarily getting, you know, creating diverse, complete sample. You know, it's not like a statistical sample. It's more like we're just going to grab faces and train a system. Yeah. And so if it's, say, you know, a police force, they're going to use, you know, what kind of rubber records they have. And so if it's going to be, you know, largely driver's license photos, well, you know, People of color tend to be the, the the demographics that don't have those kinds of, you know, proper mm. IDs, state ID cards. And so they're not going to be in the system. They're also just by by sheer statistical fact of numbers, you know, if they make up 10% of the population, they're going to make up no more than 10% of the sample data. Mm, so you really have to go yeah. out of your way to, in order to make sure you get sample data that incorporates everyone. And, you know, when you're, you know, Google or something, you're a private company and your bottom line is money and not necessarily research or you know the proper and ethical application of your technology then those concerns go out the window absolutely and it's all like it's all it's all just going for profit and not actual kind of morals either which i think is interesting because um yeah even the accuracy has been questioned as well so it's not even the fact that it's not been tested on ethnic minorities but the accuracy of this facial recognition recognition, uh, recognition technology is also been questioned. So, for example, I was looking into BBC News. This they did an article saying Met Police to deploy facial recognition cameras. It only said that the facial recognition cameras has seventy percent accuracy. However, this was a despite an independent review finding a lower accuracy. So it just shows that despite facial recognition, you know, being used and being taught, I mean, raved about, even the accuracy is being questioned. So it's like, should we really be using these cameras when the accuracy is still not? Of course, trying to be hundred percent accurate is quite difficult and quite impossible however should we really be employing cameras when there's still you know even though there's a 30% likelihood or less or more should we really be employing these cameras when the the accuracy is still being questioned you know so it's that's I think that's the bigger question for you know us to consider I think so I think it's yeah I don't, I don't really understand yeah like having facial recognition cameras when the accuracy is still questioned I don't think is right I don't think that's one of the big concerns about law enforcement using AI systems and just a general issue with AI systems as a whole and that you need to make sure that there's um, 
oh, an appeal process. Mm. Never in any kind of AI system, you need to make sure that there's an appeal process where you can appeal to talk to a real human being to see to, to refer to your issue because, like I said, their AI systems are black boxes. We can't understand how that works. We can see it makes an, an, a judgment, and we can't understand why it made that judgment. We need to have another human being you can appeal to to see you know why to have another human being be like, yeah, that's that's wrong. Yeah, I'll correct that. I'll override it. Mm. The other issue with it is the concern that. You know, yeah, like you said, it's not fully accurate, but people will tend to use, especially like the concern with law enforcement is that they will use it as if it were accurate. Mm. That, you know, they'll be like, okay, the, 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 the computer said you look like this person. You're now officially under suspicion for this thing. Like, and all, and all you did was have the crime of having a similar face. Yeah, exactly. I think it was in the Toronto police that they had a case and they... Um, I think it was a robbery in a gas station or something. And ha- they had a picture of the of the, the perpetrator's face on a camera, but it's kind of blurry. And they said, uh, oh, you know, he looks like this one celebrity. <laughs> and so they take a picture of the celebrity yeah. and upload him in the system to try to find someone because the mm. system, all it does, doesn't actually, the AI doesn't actually say, I think this person's this. It says, I think there's a 90% chance that this person's this. Not like 100% either. Mm-hmm. And, um, and also the fact that it also stores the person's face, it stores the person's data in the system. System. And it's it's there forever for the state for the state enforcement for federal government to have all that kind of stuff like all the information on you and it's like it's no longer our faces ours anymore it's the fact that it's now the state or a non profit or like a non like a non governmental organization it's pretty dodgy I think because it's like we allow it's like for example you know women are allowed to I think it was very interesting because uh, AOC Alexander Ocasio Cortez said this very interesting comment it's like we allowed to we're allowed to give women, you know, the right to abortion and things like that, right to privacy. But we should also have the right to our face and we should have our, our right to all of our, like our whole body pretty much. I think, I can't remember the exact quote, but yeah, I completely agree. The fact that we need, we should have the right to our face and we should have the right to everything in our, which is our bodily autonomy. Um, and the fact that you now got these state enforcements just even, even if it's like 90% accurate, it's kind of, it kind of it's still treading on the line of suspicion and the fact that then that data is then stored for the government to have it's it's very concerning i think definitely um in that sense but like moving a little bit off like the negative side i think even though facial recognition has been suggested to be quite bad in terms of you know um harming civil liberties or harming privacy facial recognition has also been trying to be used to identify unidentified faces so for example i looked into a study which was i'll try and find it now yes so it was by uh, i think it was parks l connie and keith l monson so they did a study where they were trying to i think those human descendants are very much unidentified in the united states between 10 this was like estimated to between 10,000 to 13,000 unidentified individuals and um, these were found in places such as the medical examiner, law enforcement, and forensic facilities. Now, they are trying to use digital responses to recognize these corpses, which I think is a great idea. However, the study didn't find much improvement in trying to recognize it. However, the fact that technology is improving so much to in that aspect could be a good way to use it to identify it. You know, going back to your beginning point, the fact that it depends on how we use this technology, in that sense, it shows that facial recognition can be used in a good way. Um, so it's just trying to find the balance of like what, where should facial recognition be used? Should be recognized? Should we use for this aspect, or should it use, or shouldn't be used in this aspect? So it's like that kind of debate which is happening quite a lot. So I don't know how you feel about that. Absolutely, it definitely it's um, 
it all is, it's I think the big thing with AI is that we can't trust it to make the decisions for us. We need to destroy, we can use it as a tool and as something that's supplementary, mm. but not something that's replacement. Sure. So I think we can, we, you know, you, law enforcement can use facial recognition provided it uses it properly and responsibly. Close. And it uses it in the, as a means, as simply another tool in their arsenal to help them find the, the, the perpetrator and not as, you know, the definitive way of figuring out, you know, having a psychic law enforcement officer. That's, that's not what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. And, um, yeah, it's also the fact that facial recognition could replace people as well. And that's very dodgy. So, for example, the law law enforcement, even though um, I think it was estimated that flights will increase by about, yeah, 40% by 2035, which is pretty, like, it's a big increase. Um, and the fact that facial recognition is going to try and help improve efficiency in that sense in, in the security border and also increase security itself. Um, but the fact is, it's also going to replace a lot of people on those um, border controls. And it's like you even then have to consider that aspect as well, not just the civil liberties, not just the privacy, but also people being being replaced by technology. So I don't know how you feel about that. Maybe it's good, maybe it's a bad thing, because one could argue you're getting replaced by technology, meaning you're out of a job, you now can't make a living. But at the same time, that makes you go to a different job, which might increase your pay, for example, or even create new jobs, maybe create new jobs as well. So maybe that's that's another question that we need to consider as well. I don't know how you feel about that. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I would say having it replace, from a um, from a traveler's perspective, it'd probably be a lot faster, just, you know, scan your face, go, probably be a lot less stressful, not have to talk to, you know, some scary officer. But at the same time, the important thing is that, you know, if it, doesn't understand you need to be able to appeal absolutely to, yeah. to an actual human being and what was your other point um the fact that it will replace people in terms right. of jobs as well yeah yeah and then on the term on the point of jobs um well that's just how technology and general economic progress has gone since industrialization is that mm. you know the technology brings in a new thing that increases the productivity of, of individual laborers and you don't need as many of them um, and that's the big thing that's kind of changing with, you know, this kind this coming round of uh, digitization and industrialization is that it's a lot of these jobs are things that are going to be able to, you know, effectively get rid of human beings in certain capacities. Mm. And so when you have that, then you have to really have to, you know, ask the question of, you know, does what does it mean to be to be productive? What does it mean to have a job? Because that's going to cause a lot of issues for a lot of people, especially for for men who derive a large part of their personal identity as being as their job, as being a provider. And, you know, a lot of them develop derive a lot of their self-worth from those ideas. And so when we have a shifting world and where it might not be, people might not have the economic imperative to work anymore if we arrange things properly and once we and if that happens then we have to ask ourselves you know a lot of men are going to be like who am i yeah what do i do where do Mm. i exist in this world and uh you know angry unmarried young men are the you know the most violent demographic so (laughs) no yeah i feel like needs to be dealt with i agree i think it's the fact that um yeah you know you have even though yeah, I think it's the fact that the working class might be affected hugely. The fact that you've got these, even linking not just facial recognition, but like automation, for example. It's like you see, 
you know, cars being made through machines and that's replacing a lot of individuals, a lot of jobs. Um, and that's causing a lot of like a loss of jobs. And, you know, those are massive sec- sector of like unemployed individuals. And I think it's both men and women mm-hmm. um, as well. And I think, yeah, that's the thing. Because I feel like even though it allow us to have more, one could argue it leads us to have more leisure time. But the same sense, it's like, you know, there's limited jobs out there, even though, you know, people claim, like, for example, in the UK, they're claiming, like, oh, unemployment is the lowest it's ever been. This is despite, though, people taking two jobs at the same time. So they don't consider that aspect. Mm. Or, like, for example, Donald Trump claims US, you know, unemployment is being really low as well. But then maybe that's in that same sense, it might be happening as well. Um, I I don't know, how, how high is unemployment in Canada, actually? I'm not too sure. Um, Maybe you don't know. I'm I think it's sure. around like five or six percent. Maybe seven. I don't know. I haven't actually looked. Yeah, that's fair enough. But like even maybe if, if they claim the unemployment is pretty low, it might be the same idea. The fact there's two jobs being occupied. But my point is, in a sense, is that with more people, um, you know, being replaced by technology, you're going to have an upsurge of individuals who have no jobs mm-hmm. and need to, prov- like what you've just been saying, need to pro- provide the household, need to provide money, need to have that income and even and despite it having more leisure time you need money to have leisure time you know you need you need to have money you need to provide yourself and that's the only issue which i am having with automation which i'm having with facial recognition all these different technologies that have happened it's the fact that it's going to replace a huge um people who have like no skills whatsoever you know, like the work, like the people who work in the factories, for example, who are going to get replaced by technology. Like even though the higher up jobs, I think will be fine. The lower end jobs, they're going to get affected hugely and they have to find a way of trying to develop their skills to um, go to that market. So it's interesting. Well, that's definitely where um, automation and technology is starting to show, I think, the limits of our economic system and that mm. our, our it's it begins to undermine the, lo- the, the underpinning logic of it and that, you know, we have. Let's say you have, you have, you own a, you know, you have, you own a factory and has all the robots, and the robots start. You know, these robot, you, you use these robots to replace people. You don't hire as many people anymore, and you start, but you're able to make things so much cheaper. Sure. But then you have all these people that you know who would normally buy your stuff, but now they can't because they don't have jobs. Yeah. And then. And especially depending on what those robots are making, like if those robots are all making, I don't know, um, like, a, like bread. Yeah. Let's, let's say they're making. <laughs> let's say they're making food. They're, yeah, yeah, yeah that's basic. Yeah. yeah. They're let's making basic food, and so you have someone who owns the stuff. Mm. They can produce bread almost ad infinitum for a, no extra cost. Yeah. They could feed everyone. But because they have that system of private property and that capitalist mm. relationship, gotcha. they're not giving that food to everyone, even though it could realistically be given to everyone. And so you have these people that have to, you know, get these jobs and start doing these things and have to alienate themselves in order to really work in that system. Of course. And yeah, it made sense, you know, in like it makes sense when you have to actually put in human work to mm. get that to get the output. Absolutely. But when labor is no longer required then the logic of the system starts to break down and you really start to see the the absurdity in it and the really highlights the inequalities and that these these are people that who own the you know the automated capital are going to make a lot of money and that money is going to go a lot further as everything becomes cheaper and cheaper to make of course and then you have a group of people that don't have jobs and aren't going to be able to provide for themselves and they're going to feel lost they're going to feel 
lost personally. They're going to be people lost politically. They're not going. Their whole world's going to be t- uh, flipped upside down. Mm. And we need to create a, a means for that not to be manipulated politically, because that's a segment of people that's going to be, you know, ripe for demagoguery. Yeah. You also have to, you know, just deal with the economic issue. How do we trans? How do we move from our economic system to one where we can have people that aren't working and it not be poverty Absolutely. and it not be considered, you know, it's, and it's not be a negative economic metric. Yeah, of course. I think that's the issue. I think with capitalism is it's always requiring, it's always requiring labor. It needs to, it needs workers to, to like produce the products and give it to consumers. But the fact that now technology has come about like automation is replacing that labor. So I feel like there needs to be definite questions in that sense, because maybe trying to, what I've mentioned, maybe trying to create new jobs, which is using technology for those individuals. But of course, the lower class who are using these, well, this is not me trying to say like downgrade these people. Like I'm not trying to say that. I think mm-hmm. that sounds like I need to be careful with my words, but like, you know, trying to get these, you know, workers bet like skills, which are going to be up to like, you know, the, the bigger upper, upper role, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? So like, in that sense, that does need to happen. And I think technology, even though one could argue is going to take away a lot of jobs, it could create new jobs. But however, there's got to be a balance because mm. you can't have technology completely replacing jobs and then there's no jobs in the future. You know what I mean? It needs to be that balance. And I think for me, facial recognition and technology in general, I don't think is considering those impacts. I think it's like what I kind of feel like it is, it's technology is people who like want to use this technology are like kids in the candy store mm. they want to like take everything and then not think about the consequences mm-hmm. it's like yes you can have all these sweets but then afterwards you're gonna be really really sick and you're gonna be feel really ill so i feel like that's what i'm seeing massively it's the fact that despite technology don't get me wrong technology has been great it can improve our efficiency it can improve our lives hugely the moral uh the the political the mat like the, a lot of different impacts are going to happen in the most negative way and that i think as a society we need to consider that i think but um and i think even looking into china for example let's actually let's, let's talk about china because i think facial recognition has been used hugely in that sense because i was kind of touching on the fact they've created this absolute you know totalitarian surveillance state pretty much and um and you look at that, I think the West, I really hope, doesn't become like that because that's what's really scary, the fact that the Metropolitan Police are using these security cameras, the fact that we've seen in Canada, for example, they're using cameras. We've seen in the US, even though there's backlash with the coalitions being created, these cameras are still being used. Even private companies like Facebook, like Google, like Amazon, all using these cameras. It's like it's going to create this big surveillance state. So I think... If we look at China, I think we don't want to look, we don't want to become like that. So I think it's, the fact is we have to be super, super careful. I don't know how we trying to get away from China, because I think even though China has got like a huge population, obviously needs to survey a lot of people. It's very, I think that's too far. So I don't know how to, how do we kind of like balance it? That's the whole big question of trying to survey, but also protect our civil liberties. I don't know how we're going to do that though. You know? Probably with proper legal protections and oversight but that's the thing like even though the eu has came out came out a few years ago saying that we're going to ban facial recognition for five years it's now reconsidering that ban so it's like even though the eu came out saying oh we think this should technology should be banned it's now now they're reconsidering it and there's no that's the thing where was the legality of it because 
in China, for example, it's a one it's a one party rule. It's a autocratic state, pretty much. Um, in that sense, it's very dodgy. But then in democracy, even though we are lucky enough to have a democracy, we are able to challenge it. Maybe in that sense, it's it can stop us becoming like China. Maybe I don't know if you how you feel about that. I don't know. I I would say that even you know Western democratic security apparatuses have gone pretty awry since nine eleven. So. Mm. National security tends to be, you know, have primacy at all other, ex- you know, the cost of everything. Mm. You know, the things we're, you know, our civil liberties and you know, our democratic institutions that we, you know, that these, you know, laws are so violently supposed to protect are really yeah. undermining them. Mm. But uh, on what you're saying about China is what's really interesting is so they want to roll out their their, their social credit system yes. completely this year, mm-hmm. but. What's in, uh, interfering with that is the coronavirus, because uh-huh. in two Chinese provinces, um, they've currently mandated everyone wear medical masks in public. These masks are interfering with their in, with their AI systems or their surveillance, which is counter counterproductive. Because you'd think that in, in a country like China, the point of these systems are to control. Of course, and so you'd think that. During a crisis like a disease outbreak, you'd want to maximize your control mm. and not have it be weakened because the measures you need to do in order to treat that crisis undermines your your tools for control, mm. and that doesn't really work. Yeah. On the one hand, it could be um, there are some AI's um, systems in development that can recognize faces uh, faces through masks. They're still pretty hit or miss. They're about fifty percent right now. Not not sophisticated, um, but I think that's just a, I think it's a sign that facial recognition is. Um, it can be like over it's time. it's a phase. Yeah, fair it's enough. a it's a phase of it's it's you know, in in terms of you know state surveillance systems. First, you have you know wiretaps, and then you have then you start tracking cell phone locations uh, through, you know, triangulation cell towers. And then you put in facial recognition. And then after that, you put in something else, maybe um, a system that can track people through walls via radio waves and, and mm-hmm. identify them based on how they walk and how much their chest moves when their heart beats. Yeah, or like laptop as well, which I have now. You know, there's a camera just there, mm-hmm. you know. And it's like even, I think it was like Edward Snowden sort of like revealed all that. And that was super scary to the public. But now... A lot of people just forget about it now, you know, because people, even despite Edward Snowden, like WikiLeaks, for example, revealing all this, for example, like the US and stuff. And even though it's so apparent in China, all these kind of cameras, people still continue to like buy phones, which you can just use, you know, your fingerprint open or facial recognition, for example, with like, I think it's Android, I think can do it. I'm not too sure which is the phone. Both. Is uh, it both? Yeah. Both do it now. Um mm. Apple was well. Actually, Apple was the first one to make it big. I don't think they were the first one. They do it differently than other. Yeah. Uh, Androids do it actually more akin to like a regular surveillance camera. Oh really? Because how they do it is they take a, a still image of your face and then analyze that. Of course. Um. So that's gonna be a still image. You can show someone a pic. You can show a picture of your face, and it it should work. Now they might have like blink. They don't have to check to see whether you blink to make sure yeah. you're a real person, but it's just a flat image. Oh, wow. Um, while the iPhone on the other hand is slightly slower because what it does is it shoots an infrared light on your face and maps individual points to gain the depth of your face. So it's not a flat image, but it's a 3d model of your face. So that makes it more robust compared to flat images. That's when flat images tend not to work as well because it doesn't have any depth. It can, see two similar two faces that might be 
um, similar in, in terms of photo when it's flat. But when you see, you know, one might actually have a longer nose or oh, something yeah, like that, of course. or you know, yeah. uh, a deeper brows or something like that. Mm-hmm. While this one would actually be able to capture it because it's a full 3D image. Yeah, so it kind of shows the the fact that technology is yeah developing more and more. Like and it also 3D. depends on um, the other thing is also you want to have say what's what privacy by design, mm. and you want to you know you can use facial recognition. There's nothing wrong with having facial recognition to unlock your phone because in a lot of these phones. The, the data and the, and the processing is all done on a secure chip on your phone. It's not like when you scan your, you know, you unlock your iPhone, it goes to an, an Apple server and it gets compared to your, your face in Apple databases. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's, it's all done locally. So it doesn't, that's the way in which these biometrics can be done securely and effectively for people and that they can be done in ways that don't violate our privacy, but enhance it. Yeah, of course. And, um, but the only thing is, which I question though, is... It could be open to hacking hugely and that's the only thing i find it's despite because now data is the number one commodity in the world over oil now which is pretty impressive the fact that oil has been taken over by data um maybe it's not maybe it is maybe it's we're not surprised by it but um you know but the only issue is is like lots of people good and bad want to use data want to find data and want to maybe expose it exploit it and use it for means you know for example so like russia for example wants to you know, for example, potential maybe haven't, you know, meddled with the US election, for example, through fake news and stuff like that. So I think, and I think hacking with facial recognition could be another issue. So in that sense, it's like, how do we stop that from happening? Because if our data is so disputed so widely to both like a private company, but also a state, how do we, we do need to have some sort of protection of this. So I don't know how, how do we kind of do that? Do we, is there like certain, certain methods, certain ways to protect our data um, against like hackers and things like that? So like, what do we do in that sense? Yeah. Well, I'm not a, I'm not a cryptologist, but I would say that it's, uh, it's definitely dependent on the, it depends on the kind of data and, yeah. but the processes that involve are definitely going to depend on how it's, like, say, for example, you can take um, encrypted messaging, for example. Hmm. Um, how it could work is you could have it, the message could be encrypted on your device, then sent, and then sent to, and then delivered to someone else's device where it's there decrypted. Cool. It can't be, it can be intercepted, but it can't be decrypted without the proper key. Ah. Um, that's one, that's, you know, that's end-to-end encryption. The other, that's what's usually the protocol behind iMessage. But other protocols are uh, server-side encryption. So that's what happens is when you send a message to the server, then it gets encrypted out the server and then okay. gets sent to the person. Sure. So that's problematic because it can be intercepted in transit to the initial server or it could be inter- it could be just straight up read by the server. Yeah. So if you had, um, I don't think this, I believe Facebook Messenger is now encrypted or is now end-to-end, but I think at this point it was server side so facebook could see everything you sent but other people couldn't oh right. well i message apple can't see any of the messages you send only the people who receive it who receive it mm. a lot of it's all about trying to build in the pro build it into the build privacy in, in such a way and so the system the, by the mere functioning of the system privacy is protected yeah i think it's because i feel like even talking about like facebook and google i think they all like apple sorry they are trying to find a way of battling between trying to have privacy and trying to give consumers because that's the thing. Because I think it's good that at least 
because I think it's like Facebook, for example, has been, I don't know how long ago this was, maybe it was last year. They were in the, in the for example, I think, I can't remember what it was. Um, they were getting questioned a lot in the US. Was it US Congress or US Senate? I, I just want to, because I know they were Senate's getting questioned. Senate in the Congress. Senate. Oh, yeah, sorry. <laughs> uh, well, I do US politics as well. That's pretty bad of me. Um, yeah, so they were getting questioned basically by congressmen, right? Mm-hmm. So I think it's good, at least Facebook and these big mass sort of corporations who use technology are getting questioned. Like, our privacy you the know? thing is it's uh, in terms of that and as why apple takes this one approach and why facebook and google take these other approaches is largely based on business model mm. facebook and google make their money on advertising they make their money from data yeah apple on the other hand makes their money from selling iphones and uh, and they make their money from hardware not software of course so they can afford to you know their business models yeah you may pay a premium but we don't care about your data mm. and so they make that their selling point yeah and that's that's another reason a way we can which we can change how these systems are used is by changing the incentives in which these system these things can be used mm. if they're not if they're not dependent on data for advertising then they're not going to have that same kind of obsessive compulsive need to harvest it of course but then how do you then change that incentive that's the only thing because do we as civil society as citizens be like no this is wrong we demand action for our privacy to be protected and for our data not to be used or for these companies to overlook our messages for example or does the state government get involved as well because i think well but i think the state government will have to i think they have to the issue is you've got these companies like facebook like apple who are actually bigger than these massive than these governments which is ridiculous like facebook for example if like tomorrow they decide to buy if they wanted to invest and create this new country they could easily because they have the they have the money they have the infrastructure to do that and that's the biggest issue because governments right now they are not the ones controlling how the agenda is being set it seems to be facebook and it seems to be these mass corporations that are setting it and that's the only issue. It's like, how do we stop? How do we actually make these companies change the way they use data for their means? That's the biggest question. That's how, how do we, that's the only thing. It's like, how do we question it? How do we change their incentives? So I don't know how we do that. Do we try and put legislation in? But then, of course, when you put legislation in, the, there's loopholes, which you can just change and stuff, you know? It's like, for example, like tax evasion, you know? Even though you put down for example facebook to pay such and such amount of tax they can find different ways of trying to manipulate it it's like i was watching i think it was maybe amazon or um a company that has an office for example in an island for example and that pays less tax i don't know what the company is called um but they do that and they all or they all they have an office in switzerland and they pay less tax on that mm-hmm. it's it's ridiculous you know so they it's in that sense it's like even if you create legislation there are loopholes for these companies to then exploit it and take your data and take and have your privacy exposed. So it's how do we create, you know, well-informed legislation well informed, and trying to change the incentive. It's like, how do we do that? And that I think is the biggest question. I don't know how we do it though. That's the thing. I would say, uh, my point of view is, yeah. I think it has to be done through legislation. I think it's gotten yeah. to the point where, like you said, these companies are grossly in excess in power mm-hmm. and that's not something that like as much as i would like to say like yeah we can all get together as citizens and boycott these institutions like no you can't you 
Like you go to Mount Allison, everything's done on Facebook. Of course. You don't go on, you're not on Facebook. You don't know what's going on in the university. Absolutely. You don't, and you, you know, you want to talk to your friends you need faith, you need messenger. You need all these different things. You don't, your participation in these systems is forced. You don't get, you don't get a choice. You don't get options. Yeah. And so the only way you can do is go to, go to the government and go to the state level. The problem with that is kind of what you, yeah, what you're saying is and in terms of, loopholes that's always going to be an issue with law um there are you know international efforts to close a lot of these tax loopholes they're slow but it has to be something and it has to be done and i think it's the same thing we need something like a digital bill of rights yes we need something that protects our privacy we need something that protects our our rights online that we you know that we own our own data that we own ourselves online that we you know that just because that you know bits of ones and zeros associated with us aren't the entitled property of these online corporations, but rather they are our own property because we created it ourselves. It's us. Absolutely. And we need to put pressures on governments and on states and on these corporations. We need to put pressure on all fronts to get the changes we need to be done because leave things as are, there's not going, we as people don't have the power. When Walmart makes as much, you know, has as much money in one year as the quarter of Canada's GDP, there's something wrong. Absolutely. Definitely. I think, um, and what you're talking about, the whole Bill of Rights, um, like an internet form of Bill of Rights, I think I 100% agree with that. I think that does need to happen. And just going off of that, I think even though we've been talking a lot about privacy and data and being protected, also a lot of um, suppression of voices online has happened a lot over the years so it's like even if you say something that isn't like one could argue might be controversial but one could argue it's freedom like for example in the US you, you we have the not saying we but like mm-hmm. in the United States the first amendment like you know mm-hmm. the rights to freedom of speech is allowed right and obviously you can't just you're just not allowed to lie about certain things but even when people say a certain opinion someone could be like oh that's offensive and then they can just completely block you off facebook and then you're not allowed to post anything on facebook so i think even that needs to because it's like facebook's now being for some reasons deciding to be like the state where it's like a private organization and though people are going to say but they're a private organization they're allowed to do what they want at the same time that's very questionable because someone in the united states could be freely saying something and it's his right or her right to freedom of speech is protected in the united states but for some random faith, some random non um, non governmental organization, then decides no, you're not allowed to say that. Do you think that's quite wrong? I think that is because you know, because I find that despite pri- like privacy does need to be protected, but I think our right to say what we want on Facebook should be also protected. Of course, not to the extent of um, you know being offensive, of mm-hmm. course, but I think in a sense that I think our rights, to, our right to speech, should also be protected as well. I think our right, I agree. I think the difference, well, yeah, we have the, we do have the right to express ourselves. We have the right to say what we want. I think the big difference in terms of the digital day and, you know, back when it was just, you know, print and radio and movies is that we might have the right to speak, but we might not necessarily have the right to be broadcasted. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, say like 30 years ago, if you wanted to, you, know, you could say whatever you wanted. You could print pamphlets, you could say whatever. But in order to get mass distribution, 
you'd have to either go on the radio, go on TV, or get a book published. And you'd have to go through all sorts of hoops yeah. and all these different checks and have all these other people look at you. And, you know, all these different stop points and veto points and filters that could stop anything potentially problematic from getting on the news waves. Mm. Now it's, you know, you, you have a Twitter account and you now have a megaphone to talk to 300 million people. That's, that's unprecedented. And I think the problem is that is when the algorithms, because they don't show everything chronologically and in just an absolute normal order, but rather they, they try to curate everything algorithmically based on what you want to say. Yeah. And so if you say something, I would say that the, what we'd want is, isn't that, you know, you say something hateful on Twitter and that you should be immediately banned and can't express yourself anymore. Yeah. But rather I would say that the algorithm, you can tweet that, but the algorithm shouldn't promote it. You shouldn't be like you, you. It shouldn't. You can be shown to you who follows you, but people who don't follow you shouldn't be shown it. It shouldn't go. It shouldn't be trending. It shouldn't be. Sh it shouldn't go. It shouldn't be spread further than it needs to. Okay. Because that's the problem with these algorithms is they only ever show you based on what you think you want to watch, or what other people who watched that one thing watched, and so you watch. You know one. You know, you want you watch one episode with Louder with Chowder on YouTube, and now you're watching about, and now YouTube's recommending a bunch of Jordan Peterson and all these other videos to you. Of course. And Malianopolis, you know, it's just it's, it's you go down the rabbit hole. Mm. That's um, the same thing with Twitter. You can't, you want people to be able to express themselves, but do you want people to also not? You don't want it to be broadcasted everywhere. But mm. on the other hand, it's also if you can't, you could also make the argument that if you can't broadcast yourself. And if you can't, that's effectively the same thing as not being able to express yourself. Yeah. If no one's hearing you, then what is it? Then what is? There's no difference between being. If you can talk and no one hears you, then what's the point of talking? Mm. Yeah, and you might as well just. Yeah, it's kind of difficult because, that's the thing. It's like I see. Yeah, I feel like I agree with when you said about like watching, for example, like Jordan Peterson, and then you get suggested a bunch of other things, which is weird. I think. Um, but yeah, it's just like even. That's the thing. I think I don't feel that the whole rights to be spoke, like the whole free expression on these on these platforms, has been mm. really been touched on. I feel that there needs to be a way of changing it. The I other think. thing is that a lot of these these platforms are American. Yeah, and so they will take the American perspective on freedom of speech because Americans' thing. system is it's absolutist. You know, you, you look at, you know, this, it says the state cannot abridge, you know, the right to freedom of expression. You can't, you basically, you can't say anything. Cool. And the states is the law. You can't put anything that would prevent you from saying anything. Cool. In Canada, we have, you know, reasonable limits. Yeah. We have the rights. You, you know, any of our constitutional, uh, almost all of our charter rights can be limited as demonstrable in a free and democratic society. Absolutely. So, you know, there are legal ways in order for us. We have, we have the legal way to do it it's just that the discourse i think it's dominated from the american perspective where it's it's all or nothing yeah i agree you know what? that's a good point actually because i do feel that the u.s yeah is too sometimes it's way too far it allows too much freedom of speech in my eyes i think though yes i believe we should have freedom of speech online and offline i just think sometimes you can you can sometimes sometimes hear stuff from U.S. individuals who are into politics, and they say things which I think is quite outrageous. For example, I was watching, I was watching a little bit. Of Steve, I don't watch Stephen Crowder like intensely, but like 
I sometimes watch him just to see a different viewpoint. So like, for example, like Paul Joseph Watson, maybe you haven't heard of him. He's a right wing individual as well, just to see like different perspectives, because I think in our day and age, we need to listen to different perspectives, if, even if we don't agree with it. And I think it was Stephen Crowder, I think was on a change, change your mind. And so this person wants to identify as a she and he just didn't, he, he, didn't, he, he basically didn't believe that he, she was a she. He basically thought he was a he. And I think that was quite wrong. And I mm. think that's when I think freedom of speech goes too far, I think, because it allows someone's freedom of speech to then use it to kind of kind of like degrade the other person. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? So Absolutely. I think it's that's when it's that's when I think the US goes too far. And I think though I believe, yes, hateful speech, there's, there's legislation with Canada with hate, like hate speech in the UK. They do. We do the same thing as well, which I think is good. The only issue is that's very interpretive. That's my issue. And this is, and I think hate speech, freedom of speech, all that is such a dodgy area and so difficult to think, right, what are we allowed to say? What are we not allowed to say, you know? So I think it's a very interesting argument to have. Um, Absolutely. It's definitely a matter of, do we want no, it's, it's, do we want subjective opinion or do we want no opinion at all? Yeah, that's, yeah. And that's the, the tricky idea of democracy. Like, do you want to stay in a state like China or do you want to be in the United States you know it's like Hong Kong right now wants to be like the United States but of course China doesn't want that Mm -hmm. so it's a big question but I just yeah we are running out of time but I just want to say like massive thank you John for having this amazing conversation I think we talked a lot about different different subjects not just facial recognition but also like automation and Mm -hmm. also about privacy on you know these mass um, corporations like Facebook like you know Apple and Google and I think it's been a good conversation and uh, yeah I think we definitely Stay tuned for like next week because we might have another topic we might talk about. Um, we'll discuss it off off air. And uh, yeah, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone who's listening to CHMA. And uh, yeah, stay tuned for next week. Thank you very much.